This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And folks, we are here to talk about the wonderful world of cinema with you. Danielle, what's happening? At you, really through you <laughs> um not much i had i had um an incident that has been a long time coming uh but has finally arrived and i handled it exactly as poorly as i thought i would oh, um no. i had a mouse in my house and i can't handle that oh i can't handle that so essentially what happened is i'm in bed it's just just turned dark because, you know, I go to bed at like six o'clock. Sure. So it's just gotten dark. <laughs> still, the out. Seinfeld reruns are still playing before the primetime programming. Yes. Judge, Judge Judy is still on like and I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> snoring away. <laughs> if I haven't had my dinner by the time Judge Judy comes on, then something's gone wrong with my day. Um, if so Steve I'm, Harvey I'm, is not on television, then it's... <laughs> It's not in one of anyway. his many, many shows. <laughs> so I'm just relaxing. I'm reading a book. I've got my nightlight on. I'm just reading a book and in bed. And I hear Carrot in the hallway. And my cat is, um, he's very, very chill, very low key. He doesn't do a lot of like, he doesn't have the zoomies very often. Sure. Um, he doesn't, you know, I've had cats that spent all night running around in circles on my head. And like, he doesn't do any of that. He's just right. like, oh, it's bedtime. Cool. Let's relax let's go to yes. bed yes so he's in the hallway and he's you know he's kind of having his nighttime snack and i hear him kind of he always scratches up the rug which i encourage because i'm getting rid of that rug that carpet yeah any day now and i'm like yeah knock yourself out rip it to shreds yeah better that carpet than a couch or a, some nice piece of furniture right thank you like i will do the training when the training needs to happen where he can't scratch but right now he's focused on this rug this carpet that will eventually be gone, so I'm fine with it. Sure. His toys are all very brightly colored, and they mostly, if they're not straight-up catnip toys, they tend to make a lot of noise. Like, they crinkle in a yes. very specific way. Sensory. So I see him, like, batting something around right outside my bedroom door. Oh, no. And I was like, none of his toys are small, dark balls. <gasps> like, what is that? Did he get into something? Like... Did he crawl into the trash can? <laughs> like, what is he? What did he find? So I turn the light on in the hallway, and it's a fucking mouse. <laughs> <gasps> Was it alive? Oh yeah, because let me tell you, carrot as a cat, useless. <laughs> he was looking at me, and he kind of looked at me and meowed, and was like, "Hey, look what I found." 
but was making no effort to harm it. He was just literally batting it around in his soft little paws. (laughs) Like his nails weren't out. He was just like, cool, thanks for the toy. This very realistic mouse toy. So naturally I screamed and I, you know, as you know from me screaming at deer that I think are dogs, I always (laughs) scream the most ridiculous thing that comes to mind. Full sentences. Full sentences. Yeah. So I look at this mouse and I scream, what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Like, your invite is not until next week, Thursday at noon. What are you doing here? I was just so panicked immediately. And like all of my, like the hair on my arm stood up and I was just like, oh, God, I just... I know that I live in a converted barn. I know that I have a barn. I know that I have a silo. I know that I live in the country. I do not want to live with animals in my home. And it's what I spend most of my time and money on is keeping them out of here. (laughs) Oh, duh. Like, I don't want to live with bugs. I don't want to live with a lot of things. So I, uh, animals for sure, rodents for damn sure. And, and the thing about mice that I can, can't stand is that, like, if you see one, you just have to guess that there are more. And I don't know how he got in. And I don't know where he got in. Like, he was in the hallway. There's no holes in the wall. There's no, like, he traveled from a distance <laughs> to be in that hallway. <laughs> Wait, let me, let me ask you a few exploratory questions. Go okay? for it. Does Carrot ever go outside the main house? Like, would he ever go in the garage or in no. a crawl space? So it wasn't something he could conceivably, like, bring in from somewhere. Because you know how nope. cats love to do that? They, like, present you with the fucking gross thing. And they're like, I did it, Mom. Exactly. And Here's your present. He is so not that cat. He's just like, eh. Like, whenever he sees <laughs> anything, like a, like a spider or something, he's just like, yeah, meow, look at that. He makes no attempt to, like, get it or do anything. He doesn't even bring me gross stuff. He's just like, yeah, hey, what's up? Yeah. So this this animal, like, I was looking for, a, like, a fucking bindle. Like, I don't know where this mouse came from, but he traveled some distance to be in that hallway. Uh-uh. So I was, and I, that makes me more upset, not knowing where it came from. Like, what the fuck? So that night was very restless. Yeah, Because I'm like, even if this mouse, like, I kind of shouted, like, what are you doing here? And like, had like, a whole paragraph conversation with this thing. And then it went away. And it ran away. It ran into, so the room where I keep Carrot's litter box is one day going to be my office. Um, and it's a room. And then it has, like, a loft on the third floor. Or like yeah. the, it's, like, the only room in the house that has... Um, more space and it has a loft and he's so still ran- in his mid-century shit box right he's still in his mid-century shit box <laughs> fucking loves that thing his fucking atomic ranch ass toilet that you that you had built for him which i fucking love still he's still in his his brick shit house like, he's just like he has his own outhouse inside and you need he to, loves you need it. to get that property assessed because i'm sure it's going for a lot right now for People real are really wanting that property <laughs> in this area for post-pandemic for real the valuation has gone up on the shit house <laughs> And so it runs into that room, and that room is pretty much empty. Like, I keep his stuff in there. Like, he's got some toys and some scratchers, and then he has, 
You know, it's like, it's his room is what I call it. Like, it, it's his room right now. It's not going to be my office for a while because um, I have so much work to do in there. And so it runs in and it's dark in that room. So I don't know where it went. It could have gone into a heater. It could have gone under the door into the closet next to the guest bathroom. Like, I don't know where it fucking went. Right. But it went in that room. And I'm like, okay, I can't close the door. And even if I did, who cares? Because mouse mice can get into anything. Right. Right. They just slide under any fucking space with their boneless bodies and just get into your life. <laughs> and so I couldn't close the door. So I just kind of sat in bed with like the covers pulled up to my neck like an old timey cartoon. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, is it going to get me tonight? The next day, I call my pest control guy, who I love, my new pest control guy. And I say new, but he's been working with me for since I got rid of the old guy, the other guy. And I called Jerry and I said, hey, um, not sure what your schedule is like today, but I saw a mouse in my house and I've left you a key. And um, then I got in my car and I drove to Connecticut. And I was not planning on being in my house until he came and did his thing and set a trap or did whatever the fuck he's going to do. I'm like, I will not be home today, so good luck. I won't even (laughs) be in this state today. I'm driving to another state. And I just, I went and I I went to a bookstore and I had lunch in my car and then I drove home. (laughs) So what happened? Did he get him? Um, he, he came and he did his assessment. He had to, um, what I like about Jerry is he uses all kinds of like natural products. So it's not heavy chemicals or sure anything like that. And I feel like when you have elderly people and, and pets and I just don't want like hard chemicals in my house. Sure. So he came over and like, he does his thing with mice, but he's like, yeah, like I set some, some traps and I'll put out some bait and, um, you know, I, I try to put them in places where you wouldn't see, and where Kara can't get to. And um, he was very chill about it. He's like, well, you know, one way or another, you'll either get it or it'll leave. And I was like, it's way too calm for what I'm experiencing right now. Because now I have spent the rest of the week stomping around my house like a monster, like announcing myself every room I go into. Like, I'm just like, I'm here. Mouse, if you're here, get out. Like, hide, do whatever you got to do. Oh, my God. Because I swear I went into um, another room and I swear I saw him duck under a heater or into a, like, I saw a little flash in the corner of my eye and I was like, fuck this. Yeah. So now I stomp around my house like fucking Godzilla. And if I see it again, I'm going to light a match and walk away. Connecticut is lovely this time of year. Maybe you can make a permanent residence there. No, I am doing, I am definitely doing that thing too, where now I drive around and I look at other houses wistfully. Like, oh man, that house looks done and new. And I bet they have a kitchen and I bet they have running water and all the rooms they want running water in. And I bet they don't have any construction going on. Like, it looks so nice. Looks so nice. I've been been doing that all my adult life, being like, oh, look at this beautiful house that I don't own, and I'll just go back to my shitty-ass apartment, my one-bedroom apartment, where I have to do laundry in the basement with 80-year-old Russian people. 
So oh, God. I, I oh. hear you, but I will say this. You got a couple things going for you. So you got your bro, your pest control bro, but then carrot. Here's the thing. As, as much as you say, he's a lazy piece of shit when it comes to like cat behaviors, he at least was batting it around. So he was, yeah. he was stirred by a mouse but you know whether or not he'll actually like kill the thing is a little tbd but i'm just saying at least that he wasn't like laying around being like all right yeah here comes this thing that i know my mom doesn't want in here and i'm just gonna literally lay here and let nothing happen that's so. that, that is very true um, right. he he didn't just let it stalk by him like a little parade like a little parade majorette <laughs> with his fucking stick and his baton like dun, 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 we are here he was like oh no and like maybe that was enough for this mouse to be like stunned and rolled around like a fucking soccer ball yes and he's like i ain't going back in there yes <laughs> i would have rather he killed me he just knocked me around <laughs> yeah so on a scale of like Tom from Tom and Jerry, where he's setting up intricate anvil situations to like kill this thing to like catatonic. Like he's he's like at least in the middle. He's not like doing absolutely nothing, but he's also not making a Rube Goldberg machine for this thing or whatever. So, you know, he's it's, not it's completely a- worthless. Let's just say that. It's a healthy middle. Um, because I think Kara is smart enough to set up like a Marble Madness, don't wake daddy kind of situation. <laughs> like I can fully see him be like, oh, there's a mouse. And he would hop downstairs and like go into the garage and get some cardboard boxes and some fucking, like he could do, I fully believe my cat is smart enough to do that. Oh yeah. And that he's- says a lot about me. It says <laughs> a lot about me. <laughs> he's going to go to his workshop and, and yes. roll out this like you know, browned paper where he's going to, you know, write down all of his intricate plans, like the fucking coach from the cutting edge. (laughs) And then he's just going to present it to me. Like, this is, this is what I've created to kill this intruder. I'm going to do a triple axle over (laughs) the threshold. Yes. You're going back to that drywall store. So you can (laughs) buy all this shit that he needs for it. Like he'll he'll give me a list. Like I need drywall (laughs) screws. I need a nail gun. I need a uh, an exacto knife. I need (laughs) some spackle and some putty. And like he will give me a full fucking list. But yeah, he's not. So I'm I'm hoping that he just stunned it enough. And here's the other thing: I have not seen it since, nor have I seen any trace of it. So I haven't seen any like droppings or anything like that. And if you ever lived with a mouse, you kind of you all you always know when they're around. Like oh, you yeah. can see the traces of them being around. Like they just eat nibble at shit. And like I haven't seen anything like that. So I hope he right. just like was just a wayward traveler that got lost from his yes. like separated from his flock. Yes. And came into this house of horrors and was like, absolutely not. There's some weirdo in there that just wants to like roll me around. And then he just left. That is my hope. But yeah, Carrot. I also I was kind of thinking too, and you have you have a dog, so you might understand this. I kind of like that he didn't kill it because then I would have been paranoid in a completely different way. I would have been like, all right, do we have to go to the vet? Do you have rabies now? Like, what's going on? Sure, sure. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, uh, I I get Sophie all her shots. I mean, she's kind of not a fighter. She's kind of like, yeah. she's very curious. She's like a very curious hippie. That's what kind mm-hmm. of how I see her. 
So she, when she, there, and there's tons of neighborhood cats, like real scrappers in my neighborhood. And like, you know, there are times where she'll just like, will dive in the bushes. And I'm just like, holy shit. And it's not to like fight. It's mostly just like, I want to see you. I want to see what you're doing. I want to sniff you out. Like, and so I'm just afraid that that's going to happen. And some like, you know, real Heathcliff ass yeah. motherfucker is going to swat her in the face. So that's why I'm like, yo, I got to keep her up on her rabies. And her, I even get that. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? The kettle cough thing. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to risk it at all. Exactly. I'm the same way. I'm like, Carrot is, is a very healthy cat. And every time I take him to the vet, they're like, he's really happy and healthy. And I'm like, oh, thanks. He, um, he drools. I, I had to ask the vet. I'll take him to the vet for any reason. As you know, the, the cat had a fucking IV for dehydration in L.A. His UTIs have been solved. Yes, multiple UTIs. Right. Like, I'm like, I will take this cat to the vet. And I'm like, he's not peeing right. Like, that is my duty as his as his ward. As his, I'm his ward, essentially. And totally. I will take care of him. Yes. So. I definitely, like, he's, I don't know, he just drools all the time because he's so happy. And, like, whenever I pet him, he starts drooling like a little maniac. And he's so cute. And he does, he he keeps, he he earns his keep in this house just by being adorable. Yes. Um, but I'm really happy that he didn't bite into him because I'm like, I, I that would have been a, a, ho- a host of horrors. I had to, like, I wiped down his paws. And he's like, dude, it's a, it's a mouse. Like, I'm naturally supposed to do this. And I'm like, oh, but you're... You touched it, so let me wipe your paws before you get back on this bed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's smart. And listen, th- another thing too, um, hopefully this will put your mind at ease, is that it's springtime. So it's that thing yeah. where you're like, I, I, there are like animals coming in. Like they're all mm-hmm. waking up from the winter and they're just kind of like, hmm, let's go find some food. Let's go find some water, you know? And they're yep. just like stretching out because that, I found a wasp in my house like a few days ago mm. and you know, I was freaked out about a wasp. Okay. <laughs> um, because I'm like, yo, it's the same thing with mice. Like if there's one wasp, then there's gotta be some nest just like mm-hmm. somewhere. And it was in the office where I record this very podcast. So of course I was like, Holy shit. The, it was in, you know how like, um, you could hear when, an, when a, bug is like in the window yes, um, like and it's between the blinds and the window yes. and I could feel it buzzing around in there and I was like holy fucking shit and I was like I don't know how to kill a wasp so I ran to the laundry room and I grabbed some WD-40 and I was like I guess I'll spray this thing with WD-40 literally sprayed it for like I, I used probably half a can <laughs> and the thing and the thing <laughs> fell the thing fell off the window but then it kind of like hit the floor and then kind of rolled into this tiny crack between <laughs> the hardwood floor and the crown molding or not it's not crown molding but it's like the baseboard or whatever and i was like is this thing dead? Like, I'm like, I don't know. It's gone. And I tried to suck it up with the vacuum. And then I'm like, it's got at least like a half a can of WD-40 covered, covering its body. So I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't know if that thing survived. It's very lubricated if it did survive. But I'm that just That wasp went back to its little nest and was... <laughs> was cosplaying as Chev Chelios for the rest of the day to all of its little wasp friends. I was like, look but, at me, I'm slick now. And then it just survived. Because that yeah. is the thing. You need, what you need is a shoe 
when you yeah. see that shit coming. And I'm sorry for all the 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 Millie and I are very hippie like in in our <laughs> countenance, but I will squash a wasp with a fucking shoe. I will. Well, I was just afraid. My fear was that I was going to try to hit it and then miss, and then that thing would be pissed off at me and come for me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm just like, it's not. It's if it was like a fly or if it was anything other than like a scary ass fucking you know stinging bug, mm-hmm. I would have been like fucking. I'll just swat it a few times and hope I get it. But I was like, if I miss once, oh it's yeah, gonna, it's all over. And so I'm like, let's just spray it. But the thing is, is that I did call the pest guy too. Uh, cause I want to talk to the pest guy, but also like, <laughs> you know, I was like, yo, I found a wasp in the house, but it's like exactly your situation where it was like one, it was mm-hmm. a lone, a lone gunman and, um, couldn't, couldn't find it after it fucked off. Couldn't find it again. So I don't know if it left died. Um, who knows, but then haven't seen any evidence of other wasps since. Right. So, I'm just saying, I think that both of us now are living in fear, yeah. you know, and 100%. at this point, we're just hoping it doesn't come back, right? You're, you're going to be asleep one night and hear a little buzzing, and then as it gets closer, it's going to be that little wasp singing, let the bodies hit the floor. Shit. And you're going to be like, what the fuck? Dude, I have, I have already, have you ever seen the cover of that Dario Argento movie called Phenomenal, where it's like yeah. Jennifer Conley with the fucking creepers in her hand? Mm, I was mm-mm. like... I'll be goddamned if that's me. I'll be goddamned. No. I don't want those. Living in fear and calling calling a pest con- you you have your best relationship with your home is going to be with your pest control guy. Yeah. Yeah. A good pest control guy and a good contractor and you could you could rule the roost. Yo, yeah. And I will call him for anything. That that was crucial to the to the beginning of our relationship. I was like first and foremost, Jerry, you got to listen to me. When I like don't don't be cutting my trees willy-nilly. And hacking through my shit without asking me. And also, you have to know that I will call you for any fucking reason. Yes. And don't expect that you're getting a man cave in here. You have you have a place to live. Don't ask to move in. Don't insinuate yourself into any part of my house. <laughs> and just know that I will call you in the dead of night if I see a bee outside or so, whatever the fuck, like I will call you for, and he was like, it's totally fine. That's my job. And I'm like, we will get along great. Love and it. he's been wonderful. He has been a huge change, super yeah. wonderful and just very proactive about keeping things at it. So he was kind of devastated when I told him, like I saw a mouse in the house and he was like, Oh my God, no. And I was like, Jerry, it's cool. I live in a barn, like a literal bar. <laughs> yeah. Like this is not a failure on your part. This is just life in the woods. <laughs> Yeah. So he was he was a little sad and I'm like, no, it's okay. It's okay. I just want you to know that I'm leaving the state for the day <laughs> so that you can come do your thing and then we will both feel better. But yeah, living in fear, living in fear. Listen, let's just hope for both you and I, it's a one and done scenario and we can move on with our lives. We're not going to have to move to our sleeping with the enemy house. Yes. To get away. We'll be fine. Like I'll start smashing light bulbs tomorrow. <laughs> Like, S-O-S, motherfucker, don't come to this house. <laughs> Can't drive by. But I also feel like, I don't know, I like to think, and I know you're the same way, that like, we're strong, independent women, and we can do anything. And then I see a mouse, and I'm like a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. It has nothing to do with anybody. Like, honestly, like, a bug and a, and a rodent and all that stuff is always, like, to me, I feel like 
it's kind of a universal fear, right? Yes. Like, I know people who, and to me, I think it's actually a country versus city thing at the end of the day, because I know, like, there's certain people that just kind of, like, grew up with that kind of stuff, and the, yeah. so they're so used to being able to, they, like, know what to do when shit like that pops off. I mean, I know, like, grown men who have lived in Manhattan their entire lives <laughs> that once the minute they see something, like an ant, like a fucking sugar ant, they're just like, that's it. I'm, I'm breaking the lease. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, they don't even want to deal with it. So, you know, I think it, I th- to our credit, it's fine for us to be terrified of <laughs> bugs and, and mice. But, you know, um, we got people. That's oh. the best part about it is that we got people. We got a support system. You got to have support for when yes. this shit happens. Because there's no one in my life I can call. You think I'm calling Corey to be like, hey, there's a mouse in my house. He'll be like, good luck with that. Yeah, man. Like, just just call your pest control guy. Yeah. Who has become, you know, like a person in your family at this point. In value. I talk to him more than I talk to my family members, truly. Yeah. I'm constantly, constantly in contact with Jerry. I'm like, Jerry, what's going on this month? What are you doing? What are you spraying? What are you baiting? What's going oh, on yeah. with the ground? I did see a groundhog. I was out on my deck. I was stapling up some... um some screening because mm-hmm. during the last windstorm, some of the screens blew, blew out. So I'm repairing my screens and I see him and I know that motion now, that little fat fucking waddly body. I'm well aware <laughs> of it. And I saw a groundhog and I, again, because I talked to animals in full sentences, <laughs> I'm standing on my porch and I looked at him and I just went, I see you. I see you over there. Go back to the woods. And he did. He waddled back to the woods. And I was like, that's that's where you live. Don't fucking come in this yard. <laughs> Don't you dare come in here with your Theodore Roosevelt ass. Get uh-uh. out of here. I was like, I see you. And he kind of stopped. Like, they understand you. They understand your your urgency. So, yes, I am. It is spring. And spring brings the animals. And I will just never get used to that. And I'm going to put a biodome over this fucking house one day. <laughs> Well, make sure you got some good plans for that. Get a good contractor for that biodome, you know. I know I'll have some good movies to watch while I'm in here. Oh, I know you will. <laughs> I know you will, because guess what? We got two today that are epic. So we're bringing back a theme, a recurring theme. Do you want to tell them what the theme is? Oh, I can't wait. It's one of my favorites. Our theme is Sundays with Granddad. That's right. You might have guessed it. Maybe you haven't. We haven't done this one in a while. But, Danielle, tell us a little bit. I know we, when we first did this theme, you kind of talked about the, the the origins of it. But maybe for people who didn't, who hadn't listened to that episode, like, what 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 is Sundays with Granddad to you? So this theme is basically movies that remind us of our grandfathers because they were the kind of people who would have sat and watched these on a Sunday on WPIX at two o'clock in the afternoon. Like this is the type of, if your granddad's going to relax for even a minute and calm down for a second, these were the movies that they would calm down to. Like they would sit and watch their baseball game and then they would put on one of these, one of these films. And it just reminded me of, of, and I think I talked about this in the first time we did it, but, um, it just reminded me of, of how I kind of developed a vibrant movie watching life because of both of my grandparents. But my mm-hmm. grandfather kind of tended towards more of the easy, 
um, you know, expansive movies. And my grandmother just wanted to see people getting killed. So it was a nice balance <laughs> in my house of learning a different type of language for film from both of them in very different ways. Yeah. Well, that, but that is actually kind of, that's, I think, the crossroads of the Western, right? Mm. Is sort of that inherently is a, is a genre of, you know, easy, uh, peaceful feelings mixed with killing. Yes. So really, it's a, it's a genre for both grandmas and grandpas, if it, we want to get down to brass tacks, or maybe just yours. But um, I that's what I think I love about this theme, too, is that we get to talk about the Western as a genre and sort of what about it makes it appealing to grandpas for sure but also our own history with the western because you've talked about this we talked about this not on a sundays with granddad episode but we did it like very early on um in one of our episodes where we uh, we talked about hud but you know Mm -hmm. you had like you traditionally did not gravitate towards westerns for a very long time and and quite honestly i didn't either i thought they were kind of boring for a very big part of my life but then as I got older, I became so interested in watching them. And then I now I kind of have this like weird obsession with them. Yeah. Um, and I don't, and, and maybe I'll talk about that a little bit later when I get into my movie. But I, I just think the Western is such an interesting genre because it's, it's kind of an initially, a, it's, it, it was initially a very American genre, but then now it's been taken by a lot of different types of people, like women, mm-hmm. people from outside of the U.S. And, you know, now the Western is so many different things. And that's what I think is, I, I would love to pick your brain about for your movie this week, because it's like kind of one of the first revisionist Westerns. Yes. Um, and that's really fascinating. And I think, you know, that'll be really fun to talk about. But in terms of, so when you, when your movie, when you thought about your Western was this something that you remember your granddad watching? No, this is and this is one of the films that I think he probably would have liked. I don't know if it was available to him because he he was never going out and renting a Western or going yeah. out and renting any of these films. It was like yeah. whatever was on TV, exactly. that's what he was watching. Yep. So I think in hindsight, he would have loved this movie. Yeah. So it's for me, it's more of the tone of it and the pacing of it because it starts out in such a slow it, it's, it's, it unravels, like my movie kind of unravels like an onion and yes. it has more modern stars and it has more. So I think he would have dug it, but it reminds me of a Sundays with Granddad kind of movie yeah. because of the, the tone of it. Yeah, total, I totally agree. I hadn't I hadn't seen your movie in a while, actually, and it's but it's fantastic. I love it so much. But but that's what I think is going to be great about this week, too, because our westerns are so different. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is like a very classic Hollywood western, and you can almost see the through line between mine and yours. So you know, mine is of that classic western era, and then here's yours that has come along like twenty years later or whatever, and it's like a total retelling of that kind of you know western tale. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about Me these too. Well, yeah. let's get into it then. I think that yeah. um, my movie is first, so I will just go right ahead and jump in. Uh, my film was released in 1971. 
It was directed by Robert Altman. The screenplay is by Robert Altman and Brian McKay. And it's based on the book McCabe by Edmund Naughton. And my film is McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Excuse me, you know, I already got a whorehouse operating. Ah, you can't call them crib cows, whores. I'm talking about a proper sporting house with class girls and clean linen and a proper hygiene. Well, I, I don't think you're going to find my clientele up here uh, too interested in that sort of thing. They will be once they get a taste of it. Oh, boy, I love this one. <laughs> so we we have talked extensively about Robert Altman in our Three Women episode, and but he's, he's a very well-known director, but he was really experimental in a lot of his films. And a lot of people, maybe not at the time that it came out, but especially now, um, as I'm reading essays about it and, you know, as it's kind of being released in Criterion and being released in in higher definition, a lot of people are calling this an anti-Western or like mm-hmm. a revisionist Western, which I can definitely see. Um, but it has something that I think, you, like you said, both of our films have this week, which is that whole trope of a stranger comes to town. And mm-hmm. it has, you know, the all of the trappings of a Western, but it's t- telling a very modern tale. Um, not as modern as like A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which we discussed a few months ago. Um, yeah. But it's definitely has that vibe. And this movie just, what I love about this movie is it just has such a great overall tone. Yeah. And it really, I, I won't go so far as to say that it's timeless, but it's very classic or it has become a classic because it has the style of it, both in the clothing and the way the characters carry themselves and the way they talk, but especially the subject matter of it, I think is just a really classic story that you see replicated in things like Deadwood or like even Justified, which is a more modern Western TV show. Hateful Um, Eight, yep, totally. Hateful Eight, like you just kind of see these things coming again and again. And I believe that this is one of those movies that was one of the first of its kind to really turn the genre on its head. So I really like how it has that staying power, even though it really isn't classically part of this genre. I will give you my one-sentence synopsis. (laughs) My one-sentence synopsis of McCabe and Mrs. Miller is, a man builds a business on a lie, then risks losing everything when the prevailing gender dynamics of the day have him refusing to listen to his partner. Yeah. God, this is a guy that does not want to take a bath. Doesn't want to do anything. Does not want to be told what to do across <laughs> the fucking board. <laughs> across, which we will talk about for sure. Yes. But the, the cast is phenomenal. You've got Warren Beatty playing John McCabe, John Pudgy McCabe. Pudgy. Um, <laughs> just referred to by his last name. Uh, Julie Christie plays Constance Miller. Uh, and Julie Christie was his real life. Um, they were dating in real life when they made this film, Warren mm. Beatty and Julie Christie. Uh, Renee Albert-Jonois, who I knew from Benson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, Benson. That was my introduction to Renee Albert-Jonois. But he is a, gr- a great actor. And, and yeah. a lot of people probably know him from that Star Trek show that he did, too. Like, he's he's reinvented himself Every decade while he was still with us. Yeah. Um, William Devane, a young William Devane is in this film. Shelley mm-hmm. Duvall, Keith Carradine. Like it has Ooh. a pretty intensively cool cast. And Julie Christie, um, I love her in this movie. And she's, you, you would know her from Dr. Zhivago, um, Don't Look Now, Shampoo, Heaven Can Wait. 
Um, she had a really distinctive look and was this British actress who kind of just had a really different kind of sexy approach to even non-sexy roles. I don't know how else to describe her, but she just, she has a presence. Like she has a a, a real presence that a lot of actors can't, you can't fake that. Like she just kind of has this presence. So her in this role um, was wonderful casting. And the essential story of this film is that McCabe is this former gunslinger turned businessman. And in this pivotal opening scene, and we'll get to why it's pivotal in a minute, um, we kind of see him rolling into town and setting up a card game in, in Sheehan's restaurant. That's the Rene Aubergenois char- character. Um, and Sheehan is going around, like, just telling everybody he can get his, his hands on that McCabe is the one who shot Billy Roundtree, like this hardcore, um, you know, dude. And McCabe's the one who killed him. So... McCabe's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just here doing my thing. I got my gold tooth. Um, You know, I'm just here doing my thing. I'm just setting up shop. I'm trying to change my life. He was like the proto stringer bell where he's like, I will use my my former dirty dealings to be a legitimate business person. Um, And Sheehan loves that. Sheehan wants to partner with him and is like, yo, McCabe, we've got, this is a small town. We can't handle having too much business here. But if we partner with each other, we can keep everyone else out and just like run this bitch. And McCabe is just like, nah, I don't think so. Like, I'm cool on my own. He's a, he's a, he's a lone wolf in that way. Until Constance Miller shows up on a train, the same train that's carrying Shelley Duvall to her husband, who she's never met. <laughs> she's meeting her husband for the first time. Oh, yeah. And that, again, totally common. She would roll into, you know, women would roll into town and be like, I guess you're the person I'm supposed to marry. Fine. My dad yeah. made this arrangement or whatever the fuck. I guess we're getting, we're married. Um, yeah, it's a total Westward the Women scenario <laughs> where it's like, here's just a train of women marrying these minor guys. Like, I don't know. <laughs> they picked him out of a catalog or something from the East Coast. I don't know that's what i always think too is like how are these matches even made like i'm very curious about the history of that western time in this country like where did you even get the women (laughs) was it just word of mouth like what the fuck yeah no no it's it's they the first batch came from like a place some place called bear paw right isn't that like where they're like oh the first batch comes from Bear Paw, and then the second batch came from Seattle, yeah. the fancy town. And I'm like, what is the, again? I think you know we always talk about like the business affairs in people of people's characters and movies, and this is a this is one I definitely want to look into one of these days. Absolutely, like I will. I will start a blog. I don't know I, what, what I have to do to I'd go back to school. I don't know. I'm going to get this info somehow. But yeah. Mrs. Miller shows up and. McCabe is kind of like, he has these three women that he's taken from Bearpaw and brought them to this, this site that's not barely a town. And she shows up and is like, kind of gets the lay of the land and then basically says to him, um, you don't know what you're doing and I want to start a business with you. So if you build the brothel, I'll take care of the sex workers. And right. she just, again, comes into town and is such a fully formed character. She eats like a monster. She orders <laughs> like, like it is the most stunning scene. To watch him watching her eat is 
hilarious and always makes yes. me laugh every time I see this because she's just like, I want four eggs. I want some stew. I want some tea. Bring it. I will eat it all in one sitting without speaking to you. Yeah. And I will not open my mouth until I'm done. <laughs> and then yeah. we can talk, talk shop. But she also calls McCabe out on his bullshit right away. Because McCabe yes. is like, for all of his bluster, because he is, he's very a very blustery, braggy kind of character. Um, but she calls him out right away. She it, She's like, you're bad at math. You're bad at business. You fucking belch all over town. And you have a bad temper. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, for, for her and meeting this character, because she calls him out in that way, you realize that she is very opinionated. Um, she lacks patience. And she's also, as it's revealed, addicted to opium. So this is like a perfect match of misfits <laughs> that are going into right. this business together. Well, and, th- and this is a this is a big, you know, a big point of the film that makes it a revisionist Western, right? Because traditionally in the Western, like the women are, and this this is seen in my movie for sure. The women are just kind of pretty little things. They don't talk back. They don't definitely don't know how to run a business and they don't have the street savvy to be like, you know, Hey, uh, I can actually run this thing better than you can. And here's why, because you're not thinking of X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, they don't have that kind They're, they're supposed to be very feminine, very quiet. Right. So already at the gate, you know, uh, Mrs. Miller is like, I'm not that type of woman. And that's exactly I think very much is what makes this film a revisionist Western. Right. I could not agree more. And I think you're right that it's not just the, the way that she kind of comes into town is that she has enough confidence instantly to kind of say like, here's who I am and I'm not putting up with bullshit. And you get the feeling that if he didn't say yes to this arrangement, she was going to like run him over. She's like, I will do this business one way or another. Yeah. I'm giving you the chance to not be like throttled by me. Yeah. And, and his character, God, um, is so like the burping and this like <laughs> he does that you know and later you know obviously it reminds me a lot of like the Elliot Gould character in The Long Goodbye which is also yes. an Altman movie but the mumbling that he does where he's just like I ain't taking no fucking bath like you can't get me to do this shit blah 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 and I was like <laughs> like he Warren Beatty in this movie is hilarious for that like he's so funny he has full conversations with himself like under his breath <laughs> Full conversations where he's like, you ain't telling me what to do. And he's like drinking and like, he's just such a mess of a human being. (laughs) Yeah. Such a mess. And he's so funny. It's like unintentional hilarity, but he is very, very funny in this movie. And Warren Beatty, again, he's like, you know everything about him. He's a classic actor. He's been in everything. Um, But this was kind of a departure, I think, for him at that point, because he'd done all these like kind of pretty boy roles and like Splendor in the Grass, kind of like, you know, young, young hot guy Hollywood movies. So to see him in like this disgusting fur coat, he looked like a bear, like like (laughs) this gross fur coat. It's all matted and like he's always wet and like damp and like a big beard with that gold tooth like you Uh, mentioned it's like he he was a mess no doubt he was a total mess so so they decide to go into business together and mrs miller has arranged for all these women to come and work in this brothel and the women arrive on this rainy day like their carts broken down they they get a ride from the barber like to his credit robert altman (laughs) 
found a way to add some black people to this movie in 1971. He's like, uh, here's two black people. He's a barber. She's his wife. And we will barely see them again. But they yeah. were there. They brought they brought the, the sex workers. Yes. And businesses, business starts and business is good, except for the fact that none of the men want to bathe. And <laughs> when, when Mrs. Miller is running down a list of like why McCabe should partner with her, tops on the list is basically y'all nasty. Yes. She's like, you will have clap running through this fucking camp in no time. You got to wash them dicks. You got to like <laughs> take some time to take care of yourself and take care of the women. Like, what the fuck? She could not believe how like gross <laughs> yeah. this place was. And the women that he brought with him, the three women that we see in the beginning of the film that he's kind of purchased, um, they're mad. They're like, I cannot believe I was sold into this disgusting life. Yeah. <laughs> like, they are pissed off. Well, and like that, that to me is like one of the most fascinating parts of the film, just because it's like, I don't know, it's, she was, she's basically trying to create this like civilized establishment, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, you are not, we're not putting up these fuck tents and you're not going to like have these nasty guys in here. Like these girls are stabbing them because they're so bad and they're so gross. Like, you know, we are going to have like a real business. This is going to run this, I run a tight ship and you know, and that to me was like, hell yeah. Gotta get yeah. that woman in there and running this shit. Cause otherwise, if it was up to McCabe, he'd just be like, whatever. Like, yeah. put some blankets out in the mud. <laughs> Guess I'll just fucking make my money that way. But she she tries to encourage him to like think bigger. Like you can make yes. more money if you think bigger, right? And she wants him to have some decorum because she's like, not only do you have to think bigger as a business person, right? but you have to have some fucking decorum to keep your employees happy, which is exactly what's happening here. Exactly. Is they're fucking miserable. And you can see from the be- from the beginning that, again, these three women that he brings with him are miserable. But when her ladies arrive on the train, they're like singing and, you know, they're taking their bath and having a good time. And like, it's just a different vibe. Because yeah. they are they are used to a different different level of clientele. Well, and like the I think the the best example of this is that conversation that uh, Mrs. Miller has with the Shelley Duvall character, where yes. the Shelley Duvall character is basically like, "Oh, it's my duty to serve this guy," and Mrs. Miller's like, "No, it ain't. It's about you paying your rent. So don't you know? Yes. Don't think that you're here to be like subservient to these men. Like you are doing you, and never forget that." I loved that whole scene because, again, like Shelley Duvall, her character, Ida, rolls in to get married to this guy, Bart, and Bart ends up dying like pretty quickly. Like yeah. he dies in this this brawl because someone insinuated that she was already working in this brothel. Bart lost his shit and someone cracked him on the fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> so he's dead and then she ends up working in the brothel. Yes. And Mrs. McKay- Mrs. Miller is just like... Don't forget, like, why you're here and how you got here. And your right. role now is to take care of yourself. And yes. so she's she's just kind of a better... She has a better countenance for this kind of work than McCabe does. Because McCabe, McCabe brings his personality to his work, which is, like, disgusting and fast and loose and kind of, like, just real down and dirty. Yeah. And she brings her level of business... Her, she brings her personality to her business, which is very caring um, and specific and pointed and like money money oriented. 
Yeah, more professional. Yeah, totally, totally. Way more professional. So things are pretty okay. Like, things are going well. She's showing him the money and telling him, like, you got to get your fucking books in order. And then this guy named Sears rolls into town. And Sears is like, hey, your business is real good. And uh, me and my friend Hollander here want to buy it. Yeah. And we're going to give you $5,500 for it. And McCabe, because again, this is just how he is, he's like, oh, well, I'm going to negotiate with these guys, and I think it's worth $14,000, which could be a good business strategy if you knew what you were doing, if you knew what the value of your business was, and if you knew what you were getting into. He absolutely doesn't. He's yeah. just winging it. He's like, oh, you said five? Uh, 14000 It's like <laughs> when, you're ta- when you're talking to a little kid, and they're like, I want $100 million billion for this crayon. <laughs> And you're like, <laughs> yeah. you don't know what you're saying. You have no concept of money. Right. And so McCabe is like, thinks he's a great negotiator. Like these guys walk away and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk in the morning. And they walk away and they're like, oh, we're just going to kill this dude. Like we're not going to negotiate with this motherfucker. Yeah. So they fucking leave. And Miller is telling him the whole time, like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know who you're dealing with. Right. Like these are the kinds of guys who will just come back and kill you instead of paying you a dime. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 I got this. And that's precisely what happens is they leave. And then suddenly, and as they, after they leave, you kind of realize that um, McCabe and, and Miller are developing this kind of romance. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting romance because he is still paying her for sex. Like, it's still a business transaction for her. And for him, he's like, you know, if you could just be sweet to me for a minute, if you could just like be kind to me that I could totally see myself falling in love with you. And she's like, or you could just continue to pay me and we can treat this like a business transaction. Even though I also kind of love you, I'm always going to get that bread. <laughs> she just can't That's turn right. it off. Yep. She cannot turn it off. Yep. So Sears and Hollander send this guy Butler to town with his two cronies and he kind of comes in and starts to big time the big timer. So like I said, that pivot, that scene in the that first scene that we see McCabe in becomes pivotal because in that scene you see him kind of big timing Sheehan, where he's just like, "I'm the new shit in town, and I got this shit, and you can't tell me nothing." And then Butler comes to town and does the same fucking thing to McCabe, where he's playing mind games and he's like, "Oh, I'm not negotiating with you." And he's like, oh, uh, uh, fine, I guess. <laughs> and he's like <laughs> playing it real close to the vest. And like he is big timing the big timer. And it scares the shit out of McCabe yeah. because as it has starts to be starts to be pretty obvious, he actually didn't kill Billy Roundtree. He's never killed anyone in his fucking life. Yeah. So he has built his whole business and his whole persona on the charisma of a lie. Yeah, false legend, right? Yeah, like false valor, (laughs) stolen valor. (laughs) And Butler is like, yeah, I see you. You've never killed a fucking dude in your life. This is going to be real easy. Right. And so as, so McCabe's scared shitless. Miller's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. This is not worth dying for. And I don't want to ruin the end of the movie. But stuff does start popping off. And McCabe does start fearing for his life. And... Maybe gets some of the, maybe starts to feel some of the uh, repercussions of his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I do want to talk about, even though I don't want to talk about the end of this film in particular, 
what I've read, again, in all these essays I've read recently and the things that have come out in the years since this movie has been available, a lot of people now are framing this movie as a feminist masterpiece. And I really want your thoughts on that. Do you think this movie is a feminist masterpiece? I mean, uh, Matt, uh, okay. I will say this. I, I definitely think in this in the traditional Western genre, this is like Mrs. Miller is a character that is just not seen in classic westerns, like from yes. the classic movie era, right? It didn't take it didn't happen really until the sixties and seventies where directors like Altman and Peck and Paw and all these people were trying to create sort of like different ways to tell the Western. And a lot of the reason mm-hmm. why people consider this an anti-Western is because the shit that happens in Westerns isn't happening, where you have subservient women, you have this like really incredible, you know, uh, hero that has a lot of morality. And, you know, it's in these, I mean, even visually, this movie does not look like my Western. I mean, it's dark, it's snowing, it's muddy. It's like, you know, people are wearing fucking shitty clothes. It's like, you know, it's like really kind of a dark looking film too. But to the, to the point of it being a, um, a feminist masterpiece, I mean, honestly, I do think it's a feminist film. I do think that the, that Mrs. Miller, the character of Mrs. Miller, is pretty pretty much her own kind of woman. And she doesn't get pushed around. She's smarter than him. She's more capable than him. And she kind of, like, sets the romance on her terms, right? Mm-hmm. She's right. like... I run this, you don't, you know, like you, you're sprung and I'm just trying to keep you at an arm's length. And I mean, and without giving away the ending, the ending I think is very much underscoring all of that. Right. Really? See, that is, that is interesting to me because I think up to a point it is absolutely a feminist film. Yeah. Just like in everything you've discussed. But then when I take into consideration the ending, and it's an ending in which nobody gets what they actually want. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm left, and with her character in particular, I'm left to wonder, is she getting what she wants in the end of this film? Considering how vocal and passionate and, you know, fierce she's been throughout, is she getting what she wants at the end of this movie? And I don't know, it just it, the ending to me painted a more bleak, survival for her than it did when we first met her and but i do think that i agree with you completely up to that point that it's like this is like nothing we'd ever seen before these are even for 1971 let alone the time frame that they are um trying to portray you know i think this is just not women that we've these these are not women that we were used to seeing in this time frame yeah it's really hard for me to it's gonna be really hard for me to give you my argument for this without spoiling the movie, to be honest. Because mm. I feel like the inherent end of this film is definitely... I mean, at least it's on her terms in the sense of, the, of how she... In, a, in, a, in another Western from an earlier time, she would not be doing what she was doing at the end of this movie. She That's would very be true. doing a completely other thing, and it would have been more of that kind of traditional romantic mm-hmm. Hollywood ending, right? Yes. Yes. 
So in that regard, that's kind of why I think it 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 is like I feel like the ending does serve her character um and her character's maybe feminism or her autonomy you know and like I said I don't I I'm kind of dancing around this because again we don't want to say the ending I know, it's but I'm so just hard. like you know at the end it's like at the end of it like is that character um you know honest to who she is yes and mm-hmm. she, and who she was before she showed up now whether or not her character will be happy with that right. later is a little TBD, right? But in the moment, it is who she well, is, or in a weird hap- way. Happiness never... Fa- that is something that is definitely a part of the Western genre that is on display here. Happiness is not the point of anyone's life. Like, right. survival <laughs> survival is it. They don't care if they're happy while they're doing it. They just want to survive. Right. So I think that in that case... She's doing her and she is very much the person she was when she arrived at the end of the film, even if it's not the ending that we would normally see for her. Um, I think that, yeah, and and I do, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it because I definitely, I just always value your opinion in in this kind of way. But I, I kind of, whenever I see someone say like, this is definitely a feminist masterpiece. And it just makes, it just gives me pause because I think people play it real loosey goosey with revisionist history sometimes. Yeah. And this is one of the cases where I think it actually is, is on point where it is very much a feminist film. Um, and it's a, a very interesting feminist film that is made by this male director and written by these, these guys. Right. Well, and that's, and that's kind of, I think maybe the, the small caveat I, I will say to my to my opinion of whether or not this film is feminist is because it is that thing where it's like, okay, you have a director like Altman, very famous director. There are many other points in this film where the other women in town are not treated as well. And right. there is some, you know, s- slight racism to the films. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you do see this this uh, f- this female madam or sex worker who has a business sense and is doesn't want to be used knows exactly what she's doing that feels very empowering yeah i don't know i mean i definitely think there is feminism at work in this film yeah and i definitely think that what has it as it contributes to an anti-western this is it i mean basically he's telling a tale of like the west that's Mm -hmm. very dark and depressing at times and it isn't the thing where it's like all the stagecoaches ride out to the west coast you know west coast and then it's like oh they see a valley of poppies and it's like everything's happy and everybody builds their log houses like no it's it's kind of it's kind of rough and yeah you know a lot of a lot of you know sort of the stories that i had heard about you know when you watch shows like deadwood or when you when you read about the west is is that whole brothel thing where you you know that is a part of that western tradition and i like that that movie is about that you know exactly i agree i completely agree i like that it's centered in the movie it's not just a peripheral thing um and that her she's a real character she's a real and full character and it's it, it even it i mean it's it's evident in the title you know the title of the of the book is mccabe Right. But he, Altman added, and Mrs. Miller. Like, this is clearly in the title, he's telling you this is about both of them, not yeah. just him. 
Yeah, it's really smart. And hey, in 1971, like that, look where we're at, right? When this film came mm-hmm. out, it's right on time for the women's movement and just for some of that cultural upheaval that was happening at the time. So yeah, I mean, this that makes perfect sense, right? Absolutely. And I just, yeah, I, I liked... I like this movie as with most older films, you always brace yourself a little bit when you hear the the digs at race and and all that kind of shit, but it's it's I will say again that it's not it's not overwhelming the way that some older films can be and it doesn't take you didn't take me out of the narrative entirely the way some other films I'm like what? <laughs> like I yeah. just really appreciated the scope of this film as well as like the 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 subject matter, the narrative, the tone, everything. I just really liked the scope of this movie. And yeah. and I think it's, it's a great one to watch. If you haven't given it a shot, you're in for a treat. And if you have seen it and you haven't seen it in a long time, I think it's definitely worth a rewatch. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love this movie. And one of the best parts, I mean, I, I said it's like a mood, right? I mean, it definitely is a mood. But like, the part part of why that is is because of that Leonard Cohen soundtrack too, where oh. it's like those songs. It's crazy, like how they just so fit. Like they're kind of these like, it's it's just this kind of like steady metronome in the film is like his voice pops up and he's singing the song, and it's like oh the lyrics of the song are kind of matching of what's happening in the film, and yeah, creates a a big mood. Love oh, and it. it's. It completely is in line with, I mean, Leonard Cohen's songs are, are they, of course, have the ability to be very morose to begin with. He has yeah, that low yeah. gravelly voice and he's singing about heartache and all these very deep things. Um, but what I love about how they use, they use it sparingly, but they use it so pointedly, um, his right. songs and his soundtrack. And they use the same song um, at certain points. Like there are a few songs that they kind of bounce between. But when he's singing like a very specific song, the song that opens the film, when they play it again, you're like, oh, this is setting the mood for the uncertainty that we felt at the beginning of the film. They're kind of telegraphing to us that this is also going to be a moment of uncertainty. Right. Or like, it's just kind of, I love the way they bounce back and forth. And he has such a distinctive sound. And it's, these are, these are his earlier songs too. So his earlier songs are very like, you know, him and a guitar and like, you know, just very simple um, and bare bones. And I think that that is not something you're used to in a Western either. It's usually somebody with a fiddle in a corner, yeah. you know, kind of. So I like that it, it, it lent itself to the seventies and to that time frame. Um, where things were very, again, like it just, the soundtrack definitely places it in a moment in time. Um, It would be like if we had, I don't know, like if a movie now was made, like if it was a Merchant Ivory film and The Weeknd did the soundtrack. Like it's kind of a cognitive dissonance, but it just kind of works. (laughs) Totally, (laughs) totally. No, it's it's great. I I'm so glad that you brought this to the table because it's mm. it's a movie that I had seen several times but hadn't seen in a while, and got to watch it on Criterion. Looked fucking incredible, and so you know what? Like, I'll, I'm always gonna be in the mood for this. Uh, I definitely like to watch it in the winter or in the you know yeah. in the fall because it's that kind of movie. But 
shit, here we are in, in spring and I'm loving it. I'm like, bring me to that snowy ass. Like all of the, I was noticing like as they're building up the town, they have these like planks that they like walk yeah. across. And I'm like, look at this like little wooden city. This is like a little <laughs> hobbit town for these, for these folks. It's kind of awesome. But it, yeah, it's a mood. And it's it's also kind of funny because if you've ever been <laughs> if you've ever been on a film set, it's still very similar to that where it's like yeah. here's where you can walk. We put out a path for you. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. don't walk anywhere else. So it's kind of funny to me that they like just implemented that into the movie. Like yeah, <laughs> here's no, where cool. you can be. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 so cool. It's such a great film. So so glad that you picked it. As I always right say. Well, I'm glad you picked your movie. Ooh, I'm well, really we got, excited. On the other side, uh, it's this high wattage. It's very different visually from the movie that you just talked about. But we're going to get into it for sure. So my movie for the theme, Sundays with Granddad, is a movie from 1953. It was written by A.B. Guthrie Jr. from a novel by Jack Schaefer, directed by George Stevens, and the film is called Shane. You call me Shane. Shane, who attracted the woman with his quiet strength, who fascinated the boy with the glint of his gun. I tried to do my best little Joey impression. That it'll. Well, I'm sure I will take another stab at it. Don't worry. Um, I hope so, you do. Yeah, God. So, you know, this is a movie, obviously, that I had heard of many times before I actually saw it. Okay, it's considered one of the best Westerns of all time, not just by the nation's grandpas, of course, but the AFI, the American Film Institute, says it's it's one of the top five most important American Westerns of all time, alongside stuff like The Searchers and High Noon. Two movies that I definitely need to talk about at some point <laughs> on this podcast. I just rewatched The Searchers recently. God, Ooh. I, I, I got to find a way to talk about that movie. Man. Let's make a theme. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to <laughs> weave it in sometime. But um, but yeah, so uh, we talked a little bit about George Stevens when we talked about A Place in the Sun. That's who mm-hmm. directed Shane. So, you know, it's going to look really good. Um, and, and and that's part of, I think, why it's beloved, because it's it's very visually stunning. And and a lot of it is just that it's a 50s color Western, right? Yes. It's It's got that Douglas Sirk thing. There's just like the colors and the saturation. It, it, it looks great. But also, it was filmed in Wyoming, which... Did you drive through Wyoming when you went to Alaska? at all oh yeah yeah i'm one of the times i I did a cross-country road trip i've been through wyoming yeah yeah i've driven straight through wyoming twice and for my money and my vote it's probably the prettiest state besides new mexico yeah it's it's the best the best kept secret and they don't want us there no one in wyoming wants us there so they never talk about it they're like yeah yeah we're like super right wing and guns or whatever it's gorgeous there (laughs) yeah because they're keeping it to themselves they're just like y'all can't come here because it's too pretty and also like there were times where when i was driving through so just a quick sidebar uh i was on a road trip with my friend april richardson who uh, i've talked about in this podcast before we drove a minivan 
through Wyoming two times. And there were points of the trip where we were the only car on the two lane road for literal hours. Yep. Right. And there was no speed limit signs. Like she was going like 120 miles an hour in this minivan. I swear to God, I thought that all the car parts were going to fly off the the minivan. (laughs) I was like, there's nobody driving a minivan at 120. Just because it says it on the dashboard doesn't mean you can actually do it. But the whole whole thing was rattling. I mean, it was kind of amazing. Like it was just like, wow. yeah. Is it my? I don't know if it's Montana or Wyoming, but I think didn't Kanye West buy a bunch of land in Wyoming? Yeah, my, or Ted Turner did. May I can't remember. A lot of people, a lot of rich people buy land in those parts of the world. Ted Turner's Montana. Yeah, but I think that like Montana's kind of where the Hollywood folks gravitate to. Okay, but Wyoming's where it's at. Yeah, <laughs> like, Wyoming is real and it's expansive and it's gorgeous. And yeah. if you are a single black woman driving a car with New York plates on it, you absolutely will think you're going to get lynched. Like it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, Wyoming, but that is just the feeling I get because it's just too big. It's just like it's too open. You're like anything could happen here, good or bad. Right. And but then, it's but gorgeous. Then, but then here's the thing. they Shane was filmed sort of near Jackson, Jackson Hole, which is like where rich people hang out like yes people like helicopter into jackson hole and do rich people things and there's actually in the film there are shots of the grand tetons which is Uh. my favorite national park when i saw the grand tetons i was like this looks like the label from a coors it's like (laughs) beautiful it doesn't seem real like anyway gorgeous so they they, this is where they film this movie in this very gorgeous Uh, part of the world. So I'll give you a one sentence synopsis of Shane. Okay. I'm laughing already and I'm I'm sorry. Um, I know. Good luck. (laughs) A mysterious cowboy with gorgeous, luscious blonde locks wanders onto a small town of rural homesteaders and literally everyone in this one family falls in love with him. (laughs) Literally, every it's member perfect. of a family. It's perfect. So, more about that later, obviously. So, the titular also, character. Before you start, I just have to say, the Millie doesn't have any lights on in her room, and it's like, so, it's, it's like so this, t- this film is being dictated by, like, a shadowy dark figure. I know. All I see is, like, your hands every once in a while going up in the sunlight in the window. It's very, very funny. Okay, it's because I'm in my parents' guest bedroom again where we started this podcast. We started this podcast in my parents' guest bedroom, and they have a lamp in here that has no light bulb in it, and I don't know where their light bulbs are. And neither do they. And neither do they. Um, Hold, pause. I'm going to try to open the blinds. Maybe that'll help because I can't see myself either. Hold on. She's back. Okay. So (laughs) I didn't realize I have my notes above my, above my camera, you know, my (laughs) face. So I didn't realize I was completely in the dark. That cracks me up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally totally the dark. it was like a like a mime or like remember those moomin shots people with like they were just i'm like this is some moomin shot shit i love it yeah no i just moved my uh my word document and then i was like holy fuck i can't see anything 
<laughs> oh shit, man. Um, All right, back back to Shane. Back to Shane. So um, so okay, Shane is played by the classic actor Alan Ladd, whom he was basically known for two kinds of films, right? So he did a lot of Westerns and he did film noir. The latter, he was in movies most notably with the actress Veronica Lake. Mm -hmm. They were in stuff, you know, they were in films like The Glass Key and The Blue Dahlia. Veronica Lake, if you don't know who she is, She's the lady who basically created the swoopy bang. Like, if you if you Google pictures of Veronica Lake, you're like, oh, that's the prototype for Jessica Rabbit or whomever. You know, it's like <laughs> Veronica Lake and then, you know, Gilda or whatever. But anyway, if Veronica Lake was known for that swoopy bang. And when her and Adam Ladd were in the wars together, they were pretty smoking. Um, just a couple of cute little blondes because, by the way, they were both sort of known for being like tiny people like smaller (laughs) statured people um so they fit really well together uh, because they were like these. i'm telling you actors are small actors are small people (laughs) yes but in spite of that in shame okay they they make alan ladd look like such a fucking stud right and like (laughs) listen I, I get that this movie is called Shane, right? Like, I get it. It's about him. But I also think that <laughs> visually, they really put this character on a pedestal in this slightly yeah. insane way to me. Like, the way that he's shot, okay, especially at the beginning when he's, like, introduced, right? He, he looks like this smiling blonde angel, <laughs> And okay. they're shooting him from like like below, so he's always looks like the Jolly Green Giants in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> he, he shows up, and there's this like, there's this single shot of him, and there's like the background, and he's smiling, and he's like, "Hi," <laughs> and you're just like, "Holy shit!" It's very high glam to me, um, which is a part of this movie that I actually appreciate. But so, also in this film is the child actor Brandon DeWilda, who was also Lonnie in HUD from like our second or third episode, right? He's like a little, little kid in this film and maybe has the most severe undershave I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) That haircut is wild. It does him no favor. (laughs) None. I will say this. Anytime he says the word Shane, it comes off as slightly deranged, and I love it. I love it. This kid is like, he's the human embodiment of a tumbleweed. (laughs) It's fantastic. I don't know if I'd like this movie so much if this kid was not in it, because he is so weird in this movie. I love it. I love it. I love it. So Shane is about ostensibly this, this family of homesteaders. Okay. And they're trying to build this community out on the open range. And he got this guy named Joe Starlet played by Van Heflin and his wife, Marion, who is played by the actress, Jean Arthur. You might know her from Mr. Smith goes to Washington, a lot of other films. Uh, And she actually, kind of came out of semi-retirement to the to do this movie. And uh, then she actually retired after this movie. So <laughs> she's like, I'll come back for one more, baby. And then I'm out. 
But they have this young son named Joey, who, again, is played by Brandon DeWilde. And one day, they're just out in the yard, and this mysterious blonde drifter cowboy comes moseying through their property, okay? And the little Joey character it looks at him, and it's just immediately like, who is this strange blonde hunk? Like, he's just immediately impressed with him, right? Jo- Joey is the first to fall. <laughs> yeah, Joey falls instantly, okay? And really, it's just that Joey, he's just this very sweet kid. He wants to learn how to shoot his little baby rifle. And uh, he wants to hang out with the big dudes. He just wants to be like a cowboy, right? And I would say he's probably like, what, seven or eight years old? Yeah, about that. So meanwhile, there, so there's this group of bad guys in town, right? These cattlemen who are, I think it's like, there's two guys named Riker, but then they're just called the Rikers. Like the whole yeah. posse is called the Rikers. They're basically trying to run off these homesteaders. So there's like the Startlets and then a bunch of other people who are homesteading in this area. And they want the the Rikers want to raise their cattle on this range. And they're like trying to get these people out. So Shane, when he shows up, sort of immediately sticks up for Joe when the Rikers come over to intimidate them, which is something that they're doing like all the time. So. Shane's kind of hanging out. It's like, don't mess with my dude. And so then, of course, immediately it's like, you're invited to dinner. And hey, you want to spend the night? Sure. So like he's already like being invited to join this family. And then you're like thinking, okay, who is Shane? All right. He's this luminous, wavy haired cowboy. Okay. But he's also like jumpy too and slightly trigger happy. Right. He's if he were in. If this character were in um, like a mob movie, he'd be the one who always has to face the door. Yes, yes. Because he he can't stand anything happening around him that he's not expecting. Like he jumps ten feet in the air if a cow yes. moves near him. <laughs> yes, like a fucking bunny jumps by and his pistols out immediately. He's just like, don't fucking touch me. And you're so you're like, okay, he's this like magnanimous, beautiful man, but also like seems kind of troubled. Right? So you're like, "Uh uh-oh. You know how this is going to turn out immediately, right? Uh, And he doesn't ever, like, really talk about his past, which to me and you is very sus. But I guess back in this era is fine. I don't know. Well, that's the thing. Like, back in this era, drifting was normal. It's like you work on a ranch, you work a place, and then you move it along and work somewhere else and, you know, try to get ahead of the Dust Bowl and the (laughs) depression and all that shit that's coming. And, like, you just stayed stayed wily. You stayed on the move. But he, you can be wily and still have a past that you're willing to discuss and be like, oh, yeah, I grew up in Maine. Like, something. Yes, but but he's he's basically like, but they'll just be hypnotized by these locks, by this beautiful wavy hair, and maybe they won't ask any questions. I'm chill with that, right? So, like, because that's the thing, is that, like, just as you said, like, the next day, Shane is invited to work for Joe on his property. And, you know, like I also said, the Rikers are, like, bullying all these homesteaders constantly. And one by one, these families are coming up to Joe, and they're like, yo, we're dipping. We can't. This is too much for us. We can't handle this. And Joe, of course, is like, fuck that. I'm staying. They're not pushing me off this land. I built this log cabin with an axe, which honestly seems like a lot of work. Oh, only an axe. 
<laughs> like he didn't even have like mortar or any like he didn't yes. even have like water to make anything to stick those fucking things together. There was nothing but trees that he had to haul in from the fucking Grand Tetons. Oh yeah, yeah. And like oh my Van God. Heflin is there's many scenes of Van Heflin like literally chopping wood. And I'm like, damn, this is gonna take all day to chop just like this one log. And I'm like, damn, like this is this is a lot of work. So of course he's like, I'm not leaving. I will be an artisanal beef guy and no <laughs> one's going to fucking push me off my land or whatever. So Shane, eventually he's loyal to Joe and becomes part of this family. And I cannot stress this enough. Okay. He's not only accepted by them, but dare I say one by one, Joe, Marion and little Joey are all just falling in love with him. Like, falling in love with him. Like, I'm sure there is somebody who has written academically about this, but, like, Shane is so hypnotic. I mean, it's like, he's basically like the Harry Styles of the Old West. Like, <laughs> men and women want to be with him. Children want to be him. Like, it's insane. Like, there's this one scene... <laughs> oh, my God, I gotta tell. There's this one scene where Joe and Shane are, like, trying to work this giant stump... Or something yeah. in the ground. Shade is shirtless and he's glistening. He's like his muscles are glistening, and like everyone is just watching him, like Marion and little Joey. Everyone's watching him. And Joe's like, holy shit, like this man cleared the stumps. I've been working on this for like two years. Who is this blonde god that wandered up here? Joe gets so psyched because they're like talking about the possibility that maybe Shane will work for them, and then Shane disappears. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, shit, he's out there doing that stump. <laughs> he just, like, gets so excited. He's like, yeah, like, let me grab my axe and go out there. And he's smiling. No one has smiled as much swinging an axe as Joe did in that scene. He was so happy to be working with Shane. Yeah. I mean, there is something, I mean, there is something strange about that stump scene. And I can't really put my finger on it, but it feels very sexual. And I don't, I don't know if it's because Alan Ladd is shirtless in it, but I'm like, what is going on here? Um, and, and there are several moments where this, where this happens in this movie, but here's the thing, Marion. Okay. Marion is staring at Shane in mm -hmm. every scene. And is basically like trying to like send a telepathic message to Shane, like, yo, I will leave my husband for you. Just say the word. And my kid. Like, I will yes. just leave them both. In fact, and then the thing about little Joey, he actually says to her at one point, I love Shane as much as I love my dad. Is that okay? Yep. Is that okay? <laughs> he actually asked that question. He's like, is that okay? And she's like, oh, damn. Yes. <laughs> the pivotal parenting moment that we are in right now. <laughs> but she's also like, but I get it. I get it, little guy. I get it because I'm in love with him, too. Everyone's in love with Shane, okay. you know? So here's the thing. The sh so Shane is beloved by this family, but guess what? The Rikers are like, who is this new guy in town? We don't like you. They're calling him a sod buster and a pig farmer which I was like, well, what's wrong with being a pig farmer? Honestly, I don't yeah. know. It's fine. Um, or a sod buster. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with being a sod buster? I guess to like these guys, they're just so fucking masculine. It's weird to be a farmer. But there's this, <laughs> I want to talk about this because it's actually like 
probably one of the most memorable parts of this movie is this epically long saloon brawl. Okay. <laughs> Where they're fucking with him. Shane decides to that he's had enough. He takes on like seven guys by himself. Oh, this movie is like two hours long and this bar brawl is about a half hour of it. Oh God, it is long. And like <laughs> Shane takes on these seven guys way before Joe actually steps in with like a baseball bat and starts hitting people. But like before that, Shane was by himself kicking mm-hmm. all these dudes' asses. And I know you're going to love this because I love it. They fucking trash this bar. <laughs> like, ah! I'm laughing because you're thinking about Joe building this log cabin with his bare hands. This poor bar, this poor saloon owner was like, mother fucker. I would have rather you just lit a match to this place than do this kind of damage to it. Fuck. I'm never going to recover from this. It's like, ooh. It rivals the house at the end of the Lost Boys, like at the, in terms of it being trashed, right? Like, it is, this this saloon is a, is like a pile of wood after this fight. And the funniest part is that little Joey, there they cuts to shots of this little kid, little Joey, sitting in the corner eating a candy cane. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yes. (laughs) Watching his dad get a chair broken over his fucking head. Like the kid's just like, oh, (laughs) like crunch. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's another Tuesday for Joey. (laughs) Dude, it is so funny. Like anytime they cut to the shot of him with the candy cane in his mouth, I just start laughing because it's like so funny, right? So, you know, now that Shane's in town, it's basically the homesteaders are like, yo, we got this guy on our side. Like, maybe we got some muscle. This is pretty cool. But the Rikers are like, fuck it. We're calling in the closer. Okay? So they bring in they they bring in this guy who's basically <laughs> this, like, slightly homoerotic gunslinger named Wilson. And he's played by Jack Palance, who you might know. Wilson is basically a psycho. Like, he ends up shooting this like little shit talking homesteader guy named Stonewall Tory, who is of course played by the great Elisha Cook Jr. And that's when Joe, after Stonewall gets shot in cold blood by this fucking psycho Wilson, Joe's in like full beast mode. He's like, I got to duel this guy. And you know, I've had it with these guys. Like they're out for blood now, you know, and Marion is losing it. She's basically like, she hates guns. You know, she she doesn't want this to happen, obviously, because she knows what's going to happen. And then Shane is like, no, dude, look, you got a family. You got a whole thing here. I'm the weird drifter guy with no ties. And maybe I have a death wish. But listen, you fed me. You let me square dance with your lady. And I became a surrogate father to your child. I'm going. I'm going to fight Wilson. You stay here. And Jack Palance, this movie always reminds me that Jack Palance has looked like a tight-skinned skeleton (laughs) forever. That wasn't just, like, because of his age when he was in, like, city slickers. He has always looked like his skin was just hanging on for dear life. (laughs) They chiseled his face from a rock. I don't know what, 
Like, he might be the king of the crag. I mean, just that his face yeah. is so pointy. It is so, it's like a car fucking tune. It is like, like the fucking Lemony Snicket um, character, the, the evil guy in Lemony Snicket, but like the cartoon version of him come to life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's a, it's a great villain character because he's, he's just, he's got the black hat on and he's real pointy. And of course he's, fucking crazy <laughs> and shane is basically like i'm gonna go get him because joe is gonna risk too much if he goes and you know how it's gonna go i mean i'm not gonna give away the ending but i will say this the ending is is now kind of seen as a very classic western ending where it's sort of like it's not the happiest ending but it's the most honorable thing to happen mm -hmm. right um, which is, but it's still different from the ending of your film. I will say that there's some, there's some kind of like mid-level depression happening at the end of your film. Whereas for my film, it's like, of course, but like, wow, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more hopeful. Let's just yeah. say that. But that I think is why the ending without giving it away is I'm sure why grandpas love it so much. Right. Cause it is kind of a morality tale, but also to me, and this is why I like Shane so much. And maybe uh, sort of looking at films from the, like looking at these Westerns from the fifties, especially like there are moments of Shane that I think are very over the top and slightly corny, uh, which I love. I love that little corny moment. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I also am, I'm a sucker for finding these like very camp moments in these very, traditionally masculine genres. So that's what I love about Shane is finding these like moments of the film that I'm like, huh, that's an interesting choice. Like <laughs> visually why yeah. he looks like a glowing angel. Right. And I'm like, and everybody's in love with them, the men, the women and the children. And like, there's something to that, that I find very amusing, but I also feel like is it does contribute to the story in a way, and I do like the narrative of the story. You know, there is, that is very eternal. I think like you said at the very beginning of the episode of this lone, this lone wolf that kind of mm -hmm. wanders into town and then kind of, you know, makes his own fate and kind of changes the lives of everybody in the town. That's a very Western thing. Um, but I will say, yes, this is a very classic Western um, not as revisionist as your film, but also has weird moments too, which is great. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it's like really it's, fun. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad you think it's fun because like I said, this is a, a big one. This is one that people talk about a lot. And I was like, well, it's finally time to do Shane. So, and, and okay. So I, will, I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> when I, when we initially pitched, um, when I pitched this movie, it was originally in a different theme. Do you remember yeah. that? This is part of our pitch to Exactly Right to get us the show. <laughs> was it really? I forgot. Yeah. I think yeah. the original the original theme, I think that we were going to put this under, was a, a theme about blondes, sexy blondes coming into like wreck families. <laughs> and the theme was, don't get fucking shamed. <laughs> don't get shamed. <laughs> Would you like our show? Here's an example of something that we would do as a theme. <laughs> Don't get fucking shamed. 
Don't let a blonde come in and wreck havoc. The other film, I think, was The Hand That Rocks the Cradle yes, or something. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. And we might still have to do that. We might still have to do that theme. Dude, I... That cracks me up. That feels like so long ago, even though it really wasn't. But uh. <laughs> I just love this. This is such a, a a classic Sundays with Granddad movie. This is one of those movies where, like, you or I will stop and watch, uh, you know, like 13 going on 30 or whatever every time yeah. it's on. Granddad would stop TV. He would watch Shane from any point, anytime it was on, because it was a quote unquote a good picture. Yeah. And this one just grabbed the hearts and minds of granddads for several generations. Oh, I, I put it on the other night while I was here at my parents' house, and my dad wanders in. He goes, Holy shit, I haven't seen this movie in forever. Are you watching Shane? Come back, Shane. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> like my dad's a granddad so i guess it is true all granddads this is like a, a granddad classic so it's, it's a clarion call to granddad <laughs> <laughs> well i i personally love doing this theme because i love hearing you talk about your family and I, I feel like this theme is very connected to your family, which is, it always makes me feel good when anytime that happens. So oh, thank you. Me too. I love hearing about your, your grandpa and your <laughs> dad and just like, and yeah. also again, like your, how you started to develop a relationship to film through your family or with, you know, even though they didn't have necessarily, you know, they were not <laughs> watching movies nonstop. I yeah. think that the Sundays with Granddad was is crucial for that reason because it gave us another way into this this life. Yeah. And I and I do like um the anytime we do a theme where we get to talk about a genre. Like we've done it before. Yeah. Like we talk about horror. We talk about, you know, um heist movies or westerns. And I think what the Western thing for the both of us is an interesting genre to talk about because I feel like, I think I said this at the, when we did HUD, this is a genre that just was not welcoming for people like us. Right. And I think a lot of people of color have that weirdness with the Western because they feel, it feels very white, very American, very male. Um, And so I just think it's interesting that you and I can come to the table and sort of talk about these Westerns from our perspective, because, you know, like I said, when you're on the outside of something, it's kind of interesting when you sort of develop a, you know, an appreciation or an affinity for something, you know? Completely. Completely. Yeah. Like we made our way eventually into finding out what about these movies worked for us so that we could watch them with the same kind of academic eye or fun or whatever, like the way that we watch other films. And I think that's really really wonderful it's great because i would have missed out on this whole genre yeah (laughs) if i hadn't eventually taken my granddad's advice and watched some of these movies oh totally totally agree thanks to the grandpas once again love you grandpas uh well hey listen we did it again We we did it again so danielle do you want to tell them what the movies are for next week I sure do, because our movies for next week are The Skin I Live In from 2011 and Eyes Without a Face from 1960. And it is very rare for us to do so, but I am personally going to say that The Skin I Live In 
is a movie that um, could be very heavy for some of you to watch. So maybe read about it first if you're at all skittish about um, certain certain things. But try to guess that theme anyway. Uh, yeah. For the skin I live in and eyes without a face. I- I'll say this. I mean, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but maybe going forward. So if you go to IMDb, there is actually a tab within every movie entry that will give you the kind of, it's called parents guide or the parental guide. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times they will tell you what's in the film that has anything to do with like sex, profanity, um, violence, you know, that kind of stuff. So if that is your thing where you were like, well, I don't know, (laughs) should I watch hereditary with my mom? Um, (laughs) If you if you go into it, you might be able to find out like what's in it, so you could make a little bit more of an inf- informed choice. Um, but I'll just throw in that out there for people. That's a that's a great a great point and a great reminder. And thank you for for doing that because it's it's true. We can't we can't maybe direct you to every movie that will be great and non offensive for you, but we can at least try to help you figure that out on your own. Right. And if you go in blind, that's fine too. Uh, yeah. Some of, some of the craziest times I've ever had was going in blind to things. So there that's you go. Ninety percent of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got moved to Alaska. Sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Driving through Wyoming. Why the hell yeah, not? Why um, not? Well, listen. If you want to email us, we are at I saw what you did pod at Gmail. Send us your questions for the bonus episodes or stories about your movie experiences, like awkwardly watching films with your family, working in movie theaters and video stores, forcing your film club to watch movies that we featured on the show. Let us know. I saw what you did, pot at Gmail. And we also have a P.O. box. If you want to send us handwritten letters, um, they will go to Millie, and <laughs> she will let me know if they are dangerous or not. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, you can find us on our social media. We are at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And look, tell five friends to follow us and then tell 10 friends to leave us five-star reviews. Um, It really helps and it really matters. Yes. And also, if you are following our Facebook page, congratulations. I'm like, I actually went in there the other day and I was like, look at all these people chatting away. Like, we love it. We see it. We're looking at it. Sometimes I go in there and and comment. So um, that Facebook page is kind of like a little secret club. I kind of love it. But also, listen, if you want merch for any reason, we've got it in the Exactly Right shop at exactlyrightmedia.com. Yeah, buy a t-shirt. Come on, what else are you doing with your day? Buy a (laughs) t-shirt. Let people look at you weird when you go to the post office. Uh, And remember that you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free, plus our bonus episodes, by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Amazing. Well, listen, Danielle, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Loved this episode. Love talking about this with you. And I just I just really dig that we have this space to talk about movies. I love fucking movies. I love them. Yes, and I ain't taking a bath. I don't <laughs> care what you say. I ain't washing this dick. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. 
Our executive producers are Georgia Hartstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free plus bonus episodes by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.